Listen up or run for cover. Dropping knowledge from the people who have it to the people who need it. The, the, the real Bradley Bombs is dropping. What it is, Brad Lee back again with another episode of Dropping Bombs today in the studio, folks. I've got a couple of treats for you. Battle-tested soldiers in the entrepreneurial war, Cole Hatter and Dan Fleischman. Welcome to the show. Now, if you guys haven't heard of these two, look them up on IG or any social media, at Cole Hatter and at Dan Fleischman. F-L-E-Y-S-H-M-A-N. Dan Fleischman is the youngest fool ever to be the CEO of a company that went public. So he's been winning for a long time. Helps all kinds of entrepreneurs, puts on free of free events left and right, amasses people. Then he partnered up with Cole Hatter. If you guys don't know Cole, you know, he's got a whole story. You were a fireman or some shit. <laughs> yeah. Now he's fun time. now he's a big entrepreneur, real estate, freaking. But he th- throws a, an event coming up, isn't it? Next weekend. Yep. Well, virtual thrive. Yeah. Virtual thrive. It's usually in person. Right. I think. I think you have subconscious anxiety for doing it virtual because you keep you keep wanting to promote that it's virtual. Yeah. I mean, we've never done it virtual before. As you know, we usually do it here in Vegas uh, at that casino people. right there. Yeah. We had 1,500 people. We had 2,000 people coming this year. And so uh, it's a big conference. I imagine a lot of the people listening to this have been there at least once of the five years we've done it. And so this is our first time going virtual. Thank you, coronavirus. But uh, we're going to make it unique and special and it's going to be the best. You know, it was the best in-person conference. Now it'll be the best virtual conference. And you're going to do it right. You're going down to the old Hubble studio in oh, yeah. LA where all the rock stars go. Movie stars, rock stars. Yeah. Well, Dan's a rock star. And so when we talked about partnering on this one, he said, we got to, we got to do it at Hubble. And I was like, I've never heard of this place before. I went up there, checked it out. It's pretty cool. And there's a lot of celebrities that use the space for various things. So I feel like we've got the street cred. We look cool. And uh, now it's just time to produce. But it's a three-day event, man. It's a, it's a, it's almost a spectacle. Like you're gonna watch, be involved, interactive, the whole bit. People can talk. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's actually literally what I was just on the phone with investing in some crazy technology right now that will make it, although you're virtual, you're at home, incredibly interactive. And because obviously for me personally, why I attend events and don't just produce them is the networking. It's to meet people. Obviously, you love to learn something from stage and maybe a speaker gives you a nugget or two, but it's getting to meet people in person that you, you were just talking about right before we recorded this, a guy that hit you up on social media, flew down here. And now you're doing a million dollars a month in revenue. And those types of conversations and interactions happen at in-person events. Can't do that virtually, but we're going to do some pretty special things to create that same experience of people being able to meet one another, exchange ideas, exchange contact info, follow up, and then obviously, you know, pursue business because that one random DM you got from that one random guy flew down here. And now, I mean, that's, eight figures in revenue a year. And so that stuff is why I think in-person events will never go away. A lot of people are saying that right now, like, oh, they'll never come back. People are never going to want to all be together. Maybe some people will stop attending events and stop going to sporting events. But I think uh, right now, obviously, things are very blown out of proportion. But in a year or two, I think the world will look a lot like it used to as far as people congregating and not being afraid of germs and hanging out. And uh, 
in the meantime, we've got to evolve. And I pushed it back. I was like, nope, I'm just going to wait it out. This thing's going to go away and we're going to do Thrive just like we meant to do it. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I can't sit on the sidelines forever. So you're forced to evolve. And so if I'm going to enter into the virtual space, that's why I partner with Dan over here. I don't want to do it like everyone else. I want to do it better, just like we did Thrive. And you get tickets at attendthrive.com. These are thousand plus dollar tickets that you're doing for like, what, 50 bucks or something? Yeah, the executive ticket's 49 bucks. And, Damn. And the VIP's 149. Yeah, because I mean, we have so such less cogs. I mean, dude, it, when I'm here on the strip, we're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars just on the stage alone, not to mention everything else. And obviously that goes away dramatically with a virtual event. So instead of profit you know, gouging or whatever you'd call it, like a lot of people are doing where they're still selling their tickets at their in-person, you know, price points without having the cost of producing the event. Dan and I were like, dude, let's make this available for anyone who wants it. And if you're listening to this and you can't come up with 49 bucks, you probably shouldn't be an entrepreneur then, not to be rude, but anybody who wants this can come. And so that's why we did it the way we're doing it. Yeah. Borrow it from your grandma. You don't even need to get a new outfit. You can wear your underwear. And, and, and that's attend, attend, thrive.com and it's powered by a hundred million dollar mastermind, isn't it? hundred million academy.com. We powering the event because we've got so many big speakers because thrive for the last five years has all these speakers like Bradley up on stage <laughs> all the time. And so what we did decided was why don't we take the thrive speakers with the hundred million academy speakers, put them all together and we have a laundry list of big name speakers. Yeah. I mean, you can ridiculous, ridiculous. Yeah. And so that's it, man. We just want to, we want, so Dan, as you said in his intro has been producing his elevator events, 38 of them now completely free. He spent $400,000 a year on average creating events for the world for free. Uh, thrive. We went a different direction. We were a paid event, but it's basically free. Forty. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say. Yeah, well, it's free now. But even in the in-person events, I mean, I would have some of our mutual friends harass me because I was one third the price they were, and my event was twice as good. So Thrive has always been a for-purpose event. We don't pitch. We don't sell. We are just there to teach people how to run companies that make the world a better place, bring in the best speakers to do so. And so it's always been a mission-based event. Um, and so you know, partnering with Dan made a lot of sense again. And again, that price point of forty nine bucks. Honestly, we were talking about making it completely free. The only reason we're charging anything is to get people to commit. It doesn't take a, it doesn't take any effort to just say, okay, I'll go and put in a name and an email and then forget that you had even registered for it. No one shows up to our event. Literally the only reason, like what's the magic behind $49 Cole? Nothing. It's just enough money to show up. Yeah. We just think people show up. We're going to give all the money to Dan's charity. Anyway, we don't, we don't need 49 bucks times thousands of people. We will give it all to his nonprofit. Damn. You guys are some ballers. I need that shit. (laughs) Oh yeah, forty nine bucks. I mean, dude, forty nine times a thou. Well, yeah. That's fifty k. Yeah, sure. Hand it over. Yeah, he raised me a quarter of a million dollars in like twelve minutes at his last charity, at his yeah. last Thrive event. Yeah, Dan was a part of that, or, or yeah. uh, Brad, you were, I think, or maybe that was two years ago. That was Claire's place. That was the year yeah. before. Yeah, you screwed. Two hundred fifty thousand in twelve minutes. Yeah, uh, it was mind boggling because we were like at zero, and yeah. he's just like, "Hey, jump up on stage real quick." 12 minutes later, they had a big, humongous check for a quarter million dollars to my charity. Well, I donate my cameo money to your charity. So I think you might've got a hundred bucks last year. I like it. Can you go over some of the speakers that we have? Yeah, who are the speakers? Because like you guys could probably get anybody you want. There's only so many, so many slots, so much time. Who's speaking? Let's start with the ladies. So Cindy Eckert was a young lady that actually Dan introduced me to who exited her company for a billion dollars 
dollars. Uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. And then um, bought it back. Yeah, and then, and then oh, that's a, <laughs> that'll be a story for Thrive, though. Yeah, <laughs> imagine selling your company for a billion dollars and then getting it back. I don't even think she bought it back. She got it back because they violated a term of the contract and ended up getting a billion dollar exit and then her company back. Crazy, crazy story that she'll be telling at Thrive. And then the other lady uh, that sold it for a billion. Oh, yeah, Jamie Kern Lima. And we have uh, Eric Thomas. Yeah, Eric Thomas, ET, hip-hop preacher, number one motivational speaker on the planet. Uh, he's coming. Billy uh, Jean. Billy Jean. Uh, we've got, what, uh, Tom Bilyeu. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of everybody. i got to pull up the website. Uh, Tarek El Moussa from Flipper Flop on TV. He's a business partner of mine. My partner, Joe Marion, is flying in. Yeah, Joel Marion. Cross country to come out here for it. Has a nine figure company. Um, this one guy, probably no one's ever heard of, Brad Lee. The he's real got, Brad Lee. He's got this little. Um, this little outfit out in Vegas, he runs, does all right. Uh, but we got a lot of people and a lot of people that we're going to be announcing this week as well. And so, again, I, having ran Thrive for five years, have thousands of DMs over the years of people saying, man, I wish I could come, but I live in blah, 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 and I just can't afford a ticket, a flight, and a hotel. And we do our best to sponsor individuals every year. But I am excited to finally be able to give anyone who wants it the Thrive experience. From anywhere in the world, you have internet access. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you are. If you got internet access... You log in, you're there. Yeah, I'm following these dudes because they always do giveaways leading up too, but you will only have like a week left. So it's the 18th and 19th. 16, 17, and 18. Yeah. 16, 17, 18. Next week, folks, get your tickets at 10thrive.com. Now, my question is, what's the like the meaning behind Thrive? So long backstory. I'm sure if you go back 50, 60 episodes of Dropping Bombs, you can hear the origin story in one of our previous interviews. But uh, the Cliff Notes version is uh, I did well in business from 2005, 2008, lost everything in that recession because I was investing in real estate, flipping houses, didn't know what I was doing. Did real well when real estate's going up like everybody did, right? Then uh, when real estate was going down, I lost it all. Became a missionary, lived in Mexico. Started missionary, hold on, like Mormon? Uh, Christian. Yeah. Christian. I, I moved down to Mexico to be a Christian missionary. True story. And I, I joined a nonprofit called YWAM Youth with a Mission. And uh, my job, by the way, when you're a missionary, you actually have to raise support and pay your way. No one's paying you. So I went down there and lived off what little bit I had left of my savings to build houses for homeless families. And then I, at the same time, started an orphanage. And that's where the, the concept of Make Money Matter came from. Um, I'm living in a two bedroom, one bathroom apartment with three other Mexican dudes, it's like 200 bucks a month to live there. So like my money was lasting, but I started taking care of these kids. And by the time I got to like 11 kids, I couldn't afford it anymore. So I was going to do the missionary thing, go back to America, find rich guys like you too, and say, Hey, you're busy running your companies. Why don't you just send me 500 bucks a month and know that it's to a good cause because I'm taking care of these kids. And when I started thinking about that, the entrepreneur in me was like, nah, man, I can't just ask someone to give me money without there being a true value exchange. Obviously, the philanthropic feeling of contributing is, is worth it for a lot of people who are charitable. But at the same time, I don't want to just go collect money to pay my bills so I can take care of these orphans. So I thought about it and I was like, I'm just going to go back to America. I'm going to restart the companies that I used to run pre-recession that went out of business. I'm going to start them back up. I'm going to get richer than I ever was, but this time I'm not just going to make money. I'm going to make my money matter. I'm going to go back there and get rich so I can take care of these kids. And that way I don't have to ask Brad to support me. I'll just sell you something. Oh, I got a bomb. So instead of asking for support, I'm going to sell you something. And then Tom's shoes was blowing up at this point. This was like 2000, um, 
2010 and Tom's shoes was becoming like mainstream at this point. And I was looking at his model for every pair of shoes he sold, he gave a pair away at this time. And I was like, that's perfect. He's not just getting rich and writing checks to charity. He built a business model around giving back. That's brilliant. That's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. So came back to America, 2011. I was living in Mexico. I think I said that as I was a missionary, I was living in Mexico, came back to America, started my companies, made millions of dollars, made them for purpose, and then started talking about it on podcasts. People started blowing me up and saying, how do I run a company like that? And that's what was the original birth of Thrive. So long answer to your question, what's the meaning or the message behind it? It's to take people who are, whether you're broke or bawling, know that there's more to life than just making money. And you want to work hard, but attach that effort to something that's making a measurable difference in the world. It's fun to have record-breaking quarters and making tons of money and buying red Ferraris like you've gotten stuff. But at the same time, one of the line items, one of the measurements in your company every quarter or however you look at your KPIs should be what type of a global impact are we making? And so, you know, for me, my wife and I are passionate about, um, I guess you'd say human rights, not civil rights necessarily like voting, but human rights. Like we work with Pencils of Promise to build schools because we believe that it's a human right to have an education. Uh, we work with Underground Railroad to help men and or women and children, excuse me, who have, are victims of human trafficking get their freedom because we believe as a human, you should be free. So human rights we fight for and our businesses fund these initiatives and then thrive. We teach people how to not just crush it. I mean, Dan, you're going to be speaking at Thrive. Uh, Dan, and obviously Brad, you as well. Um, Dan's going to be speaking a lot at this Thrive. That's actually going to be cool. We need to talk about how many times you're going to speak. Um, but uh, we're, we're going to be teaching you guys how to crush it in business in a business model that gives back. And so that's what makes Thrive very unique. Um, and that's why, you know, we raised $250,000 for Dan at our last Thrive uh, because we want to put our money where our mouth is literally and say, hey, instead of pitching you guys crap from stage and selling you a bunch of stuff. We're just going to raise money and give it to charity. So that was the cliff note version there. Again, if you want more, go back to dropping Bob's episode, whatever it was. Um, but uh, that's, that's it. I just, I literally wanted to feed these orphans and I was running out of the money that I had left for my businesses failing. That little few thousand bucks I had was almost gone. And I came back to America to just make money to feed my kids. And here we are running events of thousands of attendees to teach them how to do it. Not just thousands of attendees, but thousands of generous attendees, people that like, actually want to make the world a better place, which is why I kind of like Thrive, yeah. the Thrive event. <clears throat> the best part, bro, at this point, because we've been doing it so long, like proof of concept, do you know how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories I have from people saying, Cole, I'm in Houston, I own a pool business, I turned it into four purpose, and now I feed 1,200 kids a day every single day, right? Or And that's a real story of my buddy Tommy. I mean, there's so many stories of people that took their existing businesses, turned them for purpose, and are now flooding me with testimonials, not just that they're making more money, because those testimonials are cool, and I get a lot of those. Oh, that thing Bradley said, I used it, I'm making an extra 80 grand a month now, which is actually a story of someone you're going to meet next weekend in LA that you're helping them make an extra 80 grand a month with something. Because I was like, are you sure it was Bradley that said this? They're sure. <laughs> so look at that, right? Yeah. There's a nugget in there somewhere now and <laughs> yeah, again. Yeah, exactly. So, so these people like to learn how to make money and I love those testimonials, but the ones that like make me keep doing this because events suck. Like, let's be honest, you know, maybe a little bit controversial, but anybody out there who's being honest with themselves that produces events, they suck. They're not fun. It's the result, whether it be for events that are selling stuff, the money you make or in our experience the impact we get to make and what makes it worth it is when i get countless dms and emails from people saying just want to let you know i went to thrive a year or two ago i turned my business for a purpose and as a result all of this has happened and it's like dude the impact thrive has made on the world is immeasurable because we have no idea how many ripple effects and stories are out there that haven't even made it back to us from people that were sitting in our audience 
saw a concept, used it, and then are now changing the world. Not only that, but like you're living proof. I mean, you're you were just broke as hell, living with a small penis, <laughs> and and now you're making millions of dollars. And every time I see you, you're in board shorts and flip flops. I think this is the first time I saw you in jeans you in about so two funny? years. I was literally wearing board shorts and flip flops last night while oh, yeah. Dan was gambling four grand in like eight seconds, and I was freezing. So this morning I put pants on for that one reason. But don't worry, I'm gonna go switch back in the board shorts in just a second. Now the Thrive events powered by. 100 million academy yeah. now what's that about so 100 million academy essentially was we have a hundred thousand dollar mastermind and we wanted to make something for everybody because and, and by the and by the way folks just so you know hundred thousand dollar mastermind simply means it costs you a hundred thousand to get in how many people got into that uh, exactly a hundred we sold out so that's why it's hundred million mastermind yes mastermind the hundred thousand dollars folks when you spend a hundred thousand dollars to get in a group and everyone has to spend the hundred k you know you're in the right crap right? oh yeah that's right. cool and so we had that group but once we sold out those hundred spots that was it there's nothing else nobody else can come in and so we wanted to figure out a way to help the masses and so we made it a hundred dollar a month version powered by lightspeedvt.com thank you very much you know that's right actually everything i do is powered by lightspeed just to throw that out there good so 100 million academy essentially is a hundred dollar a month version and you can learn everything from these main instructors but then we also have dozens of other instructors it's about 300 hours of content on 100 million academy and then every single day at 6 p.m we go live so we're like a, a, a news anchor, a TV station, every day at 6 p.m. and we've never missed it once, knock on wood, for the last year. And so the idea was if we take 100 Million Academy and we have so many speakers that are on there teaching content and we combine it with Thrive, that's how the magic could happen. And next weekend's the big the big night. Yeah, so now let's go back a little bit, old Mr. Fleischman, for you. Because I've, I've, I've known who you were, but I, you were already who you were And when I found out about you. Who were you before? all this nonsense like what's your story so yeah i just grew up we didn't have any money so i always was working and hustling uh first buying and selling baseball cards on the swap meet then working three jobs during high school but then when i was 17 i trademarked the catchphrase who's your daddy for over 300 products actually at the venetian was my very first convention 21 years ago so 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 when someone said who's your daddy you think i'm going to protect that that's a that's a phrase everyone will I own it. You, you I just knew to I do used it. To own it for everything. You probably owe money right now because you said it twice. Yeah, especially yeah. on a podcast. Yeah, we could get a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, essentially, we trademarked it for clothing, barbecue sets, diapers, sexual products, anything you could think of. We trademarked it for sexual products. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Who's Your Daddy dildo. We yeah, like the strap on that you use on yourself, Brad. Yeah, that's the one. Hey, now, see now, no one's going to forward this to a million more people to attend Thrive. Listen, they they love you with all of your sexual exploits. We you know, I don't know if you guys know, but I'm going to elevate dropping bombs next season and just, you know, eliminate the the vulgarity. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, good luck. Can we bet? Yeah. Yeah. How much you want to bet? <laughs> well, because again, it's it's rising up the ranks like it's a crazy, crazy thing that's happening. And I'm looking at Joe Rogan going, shit, if he can get a hundred million, maybe I can get 10. <laughs> uh, well, maybe. You so, never know. How, how, but, 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 but what someone told me the cuss words and the vulgarity sometimes prevents them from sharing yep. and i'm like oh that makes sense maybe i better quit doing it so they'll share more often and grow more rapidly good luck everyone needs to share this out folks because let me tell you something whether you're in sales or whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're a house wife or house husband nowadays there's a lot of house husbands wives are working that's, that's my goal actually my wife and i we have we have the two-year plan for me to be a stay-at-home dad yeah 
Well, you're the perfect one for it. Oh man, I just sit by the pool, drink beer. I told my wife, if I'm a stay-at-home dad, we're gonna have maids and all butlers and the whole deal. <laughs> She's like, that doesn't count. I was like, you're just mad you didn't think of it when you were a stay-at-home mom. So, so yeah. So convention and at the Venetian, I'm 17 years old. We end up doing a million dollars in orders out of our little 20 foot booth. And we now, now is that the first taste of money? Yeah, I mean, I was working at the stadium selling peanuts and cracker jacks the week before. And working at Ruby's Diner with a freaking sailor hat on the week before. And uh, so we do a million dollars in orders, except we don't have a manufacturer to make a million dollars in orders. We had like some little t-shirt shop that was making our stuff. So I just figured it out. I drove to LA and I went door to door to warehouses and I finally found a guy who knew a guy. And that guy happened to own the rights for Fender guitars, all their apparel. And he owned English Laundry, like the fancy button up shirts. And he'd sold it for like $120 million dollars. So I'm still very close with them to this day. But basically that guy changed my life. That mentor changed my life because we moved into his warehouse and his son, who's still one of my best friends, he went on the road with me to help me sell. And we sold into six major department stores. The dad got us a $9.5 million deal when I was 19 years old, just for the UK. He licensed our brand name out for $9.5 million. And so that helped us through the roller coasters. Because roller coasters, meaning people would take advantage of us. People wouldn't ship us our clothing. People would ask for 150,000 for something and then disappear. We went through these roller coasters being 19, 20, 21 years old. And so that money kept coming in from the UK that kept helping us on this roller coaster. Then when I was 23 years old, we took it public on the stock market. And that's when the life changed because- With you as CEO. Yes. Because again, if I ever went public, I'd have to step down. <laughs> they're, they're not, because they're, you're too vulgar. See? Yeah. Well, not only that, I don't have the degrees. It's just like, you know, they, they're, they look for the, the leadership. And if they looked at Lightspeed's leadership, they'd be like, well, that guy, we're not, we're not going to do this. Oh, Brad Lee's involved. He's a loose cannon. So do you have a bunch of degrees and shit? Yeah. From high school. But that's it? A yeah. PhD. So you just said, screw it and public stayed there anyway. Diploma. So go public. We raised 3.75 million that day. I then take that money to launch the energy drink. And so the energy drink, it's all still under the same brand name. There was 900 drinks on the market, but I felt like there was one big thing missing. They just didn't taste good. All energy drinks tasted like cough syrup because they all used the same exact ingredient that made it feel like cough syrup. So I said, well, my favorite drink is Gatorade. That was my favorite tasting drink. I'm gonna find the, chem the chemist from Gatorade. And so he happened to live in Orange County. I went and found this guy. Yeah, like, he did, because only badasses live in Orange County. This guy's like 70 something years old. He's infinitely rich because he was getting like one eighth of a penny from these from these bottles. And we get there, and I remember it was like a TGI Fridays, and he puts out 30 cups. They're all little, those little white cups, like little shot cups. He says, if you find my favorite drink, I've never told this story before. If you find my favorite drink, I'll license it to you for one year. If you hit a million dollars in sales, then you can have it in perpetuity and just give me a little piece. For some reason, I see this red one. I reach for that one. I taste that one and my, have my partner taste the other half of it. I said, that's it. He's like, you're sure? You didn't even try the other ones. I said, no, no, that's it. He's like, well, do you think I'm tricking you? Do you think they're all the same flavor? I said, I don't care. That's it. It's like a cranberry pineapple. And he just looked, he like turned white. He's like, no, that's it. You were right. And I have this magical moment still in my head from 20 years ago. That moment, I was just all in. That was it. I didn't know that was it. I just felt like that 
pretty red drink was going to be it. <laughs> so this is crazy. We end up hitting the million dollars in three months because I didn't sleep for those four. By the way, for four years, I don't. I sincerely can't tell you anything from twenty three to twenty seven. I don't remember a single night. All I did was sell. I drove and flew. There was no social media. I drove and flew to forty three distributors, and we got into fifty five thousand retail stores. And I went there myself. I literally went to every distributor by myself. Well, you still haven't stopped that. Like every single event I see, Dan Fleischman is giving his time. Why is that? What were you homeless or something? Because you also have the backpack deal, Pence, uh, Model Citizen Fund. Model Citizen Fund, where you basically just fill up a backpack full of like hundred, two hundred dollars worth of you know su- supplies and drop them off to homeless folks. I mean, it was essentially when you have twenty four grand a year for a family of four in LA, you're basically homeless. And so I just knew what it was like to have nothing. Nothing. And then when my parents got divorced, we moved into like a 85 year old lady's extra room. Me and my mom sleeping in the same room for the first couple of years after the divorce. So I just know what it's like to not have any money and be still have to like, I don't know how you say it. Like I still wanted to like live a life and be entrepreneurial. And so I just, that's why I still don't stop. Like I'm, I'm just relentless because of that. I, I think it's, I couldn't even imagine retiring. Like you couldn't, if you handed, if Bradley said, you know what, Dan, congratulations, you got 36 companies, I'll buy them all for $1 billion, but you got to go sit on a beach, I would turn you down. Hmm. If I'm not allowed to go do something else, I would turn you down every time and I'll pass a lie detector test right now. I couldn't just sit on a beach. It sounds cool for a, Yet for a week. Yet or ever. I don't know. Because that sounds mighty good to me. I was like, I got, thank God I got three pairs of board shorts in my backpack. Yeah, I mean. You could do it, I could do it for a weekend, <clears throat> I think. Well, out of everything you've learned from all the people you've learned it from, if you had to condense it down to three keys, three factors of success that you left with your kids, and it's like, there's only one chance they succeed if they take and, and execute on these three tidbits what would those be first one is just get started too much too often people just think about stuff for six months a year two years five years just get started that's actually when i signed my book i've only signed it with those three words every single time just get started second one is sign contracts with everyone including your mom and it's not that you're ever going to sue your mom right it's just most relationships whether it's husbands and wives children employees, bosses, contractors, vendors, etc. most problems are miscommunication. And so the contract is more about a scope of work. Brad's going to do this. Cole's going to do this. I'm going to do this. And this is what will happen if we do this and we'll, get all, we'll all get this. If we don't have that, that causes a lot of problems and frustrations. And so sign contracts with everyone. Not big, fat contracts. One or two pages explaining what you're going to do and what I'm going to do. And then the last one is be everywhere, be omnipresent. If you're omnipresent, you put yourself in a position to get lucky. When you say, mm-hmm. oh, some guy DM'd me and now we're doing a million dollars a month, it's because of your omnipresence. It's because Brad is out there in the ether. People can find him. If he couldn't have found you, if he couldn't have DM'd you, that deal doesn't happen. So you being, having a podcast, having a business, having speaking events, having light speed, you have all these different things, you become omnipresent. And that is so important for people and so if my, for my children, if they just got started, signed contracts, and they were everywhere on social media and people could have access to them, they put themselves in a position to get lucky. They'll take the action and they'll protect themselves. Mm. 
It's almost like the the thrive, the thrive of it. When you said, you know, speak, I'm like, sure. Now I'm thinking, dude, do I, do I, every time I commit, you've had this discussion with me that one time at the, at that restaurant at the district. It's like, every time I commit to doing something, then I think, well, what, what the hell am I going to say that they're, that they haven't already heard? But then you take, you know, get started. We've all heard that, but nobody, not many do it. Mm-hmm. We've all heard sign contract. If I didn't have a contract, I wouldn't have this place. I told you that story about my two buddies I gave. They tried to throw me out once it started making money. And because of the contract, they couldn't. And then be everywhere. That's the harder one. How does, how do people be everywhere with no budget? Well, it's the beauty of Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Google, Snapchat, LinkedIn. Podcasts. Free. Get on it. They're free, 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 and free. So just reach out, make comments. But I have a question. So Dan, that's crazy. I've known you for so long. We're business partners and I never heard your like origin story. That's rad. This chip you have on your shoulder where you say, if you were given a billion dollars to sit on a beach, you couldn't take it because you just have this insatiable drive of creating, producing. And then Brad, you obviously have had your share of success, right? You're doing great. And I know your backstory too. With my backstory, near-death experiences and everything I went through, a question I get asked a lot is, do you need something like that, like a grudge or a chip on your shoulder to hit success? Gary Vee talks about one of his greatest assets is being an immigrant and his upbringing of having nothing in Jersey and all that. So my question is, do you think that your living circumstances, 24 grand a year, and then single mom in a shared room of an 85-year-old person, and Brad, your story, that you've shared a thousand times and my story that I've shared a thousand times. Do you think people can be successful without having some huge chip on their shoulder that they've got to like prove to the world? I'm going to say a very, a very crazy fact. And then it'll, it'll make you realize why there's 6,400 people in my phone. Okay. Over 300 of them have a company that's eight figures or higher. And a bunch of them have a hundred million dollar plus company. Not one single person in my phone that has an eight figure or nine figure company came from money. I don't know a single one that even had an upper middle class or higher family. Not one. It's interesting. I didn't really have a chip. I don't think I just wanted to be rich because I, well, you talk, I mean, yeah, maybe it's not a chip, but you talked about having to hide your car down the street because it was going to get repossessed. Yeah, I've, had, just- I've had tough times, but there was really no chip. But after, uh, a couple, it was a couple of weeks ago, someone was asking me some questions where I was just throwing out the answers without, you know, doing too much thinking. And someone said, what's my chip? I remember one time with my first wife, I married her and we were kind of having problems. I was staying, I think with her and her mom and her sister was over one day and it is a nice family. Like they're not mean or anything. And one day I did something to piss them all off. I did something stupid, I'm sure. And the sister looked at me and she said, you're a bum and you're always going to be a bum. And I thought maybe that's the chip. Cause I, I still remember that day. Like she said it yesterday, you're a bum and you're always going to be a bum. And I said, what the hell? That's exactly why there shouldn't be participation trophies. We yeah. need to be, we need to feel lost. We need to lose on the field. We need to lose on the court. We need people to talk shit to us. That's actually the story. I literally just told my wife, my, my daughters are uh, like in dancing and gymnastics, but nothing competes where they lose. And I was like, Sonia, I need our kids to lose. So they learn how to like deal with loss and I need them to win. So they know how to win humbly. But here's my question then. Okay, Dan, you don't know a single person that's eight or nine figure business owner now that came from money. You're a multimillionaire. You're a multimillionaire. 
I'm doing all right financially and have made millions and millions of dollars. Are our kids screwed then? Because how do I? Depends with, on if you give it to them. Well, my two little girls are growing up in an 8,000 square foot house with millions of dollars of revenue for their parents coming in every single year. They get driven around in six figure cars or whatever, right? And I'm not saying that sound arrogant, but that's their life. That's their reality. So are they never going to be able to develop this type of drive? And are they just going to be whatever? Because that's one of the most important things to my wife and I is to keep our kids humble. We like cars and houses, but we're not big spendy people. I'm in board shorts and flip flops every time you see me, right? And we still have that orphanage, by the way, now 11 years later in in Mexico, and my kids go down there all the time and play with the orphans. So we're doing our best to not just have them in this little Orange County multimillionaire bubble and showing them what the real world looks like, but I haven't stumbled across how to manufacture drive in them because I've heard this one way or another that without that I don't want to say poverty upbringing, but without that hard times, it builds resilience and drive. So what do we do for our kids? The three of us, like what, what are our kids going to do? do what I do. What's that? <laughs> you don't give them shit. <laughs> well, no. Okay. <laughs> I'm messing with you. No, no, no. But I mean, that's true. Like my seven year old, she'll be like, Oh, go buy me this. And I'm like, no, you need to earn it. And so she gets like $20 for washing the dog and stuff. So she's understanding that she has to earn and doesn't just get stuff. Right. She can't just get free things. Yeah. Well, just because he's got 6,400 people in his phone that all make a zillion dollars and none of them have ever came from rich doesn't mean it hasn't happened. Well, of course it's, it's happened. I think if you raise your kids correctly and you teach them the fundamental things that usually hardship naturally teaches people, I think you can still end up a good, a good human being coming from money. My priorities is to make sure that my girls have a great value system, that they're amazing human beings, that they love everyone equally. doesn't matter what color they are, who they love, who they pray to, that my little girls grow up with just uh, wanting the world to be a better place, you know, and, and giving back. Uh, if, but if I could get extra credit or a PS or an also, right, uh, it would be that they have drive because I want them to succeed financially too. I would love for them, want them to, to thrive. Exactly. I would love for them to fall in love with any man God picked for them. And even if he's a youth pastor making 20 grand a year, why has he got to be a man? Well, I guess that's true too. But for now, they're both very interested in boys, which is very irritating because I thought that little girls thought boys had cooties or germs, but mine both love boys for now. So everyone's that's because like, oh. their dad does. <laughs> you're saying, I thought you were trying to, I'm trying to keep it PG because you're trying to elevate the show and you're the one that keeps making little dick jokes. Hey. By the way, everybody, Brad and I have steamed together and this, this debate has already been solved. We know with certainty he's, um, <laughs> well, his t-shirts say pinky on the back for a reason, but back to my girls, like, let's just say they love a man for now. And let's just say that he is a youth pastor hypothetically and making no money. I want them to be able to make millions too. So I don't want them to just grow up to have a great value system and amazing humans. I would love for them to be, they don't need to be multimillionaires, but not worry about money. I think that a lot of people don't reach potential because they're too busy and their minds stressing about money. If everybody listening to this podcast right now, if the conversation around money didn't exist, if that wasn't what you had to spend your brain thinking about, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg wears the same t-shirt every day because he says he doesn't want to spend any extra mental bandwidth other than production. Think about how much mental bandwidth is wasted by people stressing about money. If that wasn't there, how much more could you create, produce? How much more amazing things could you accomplish? I want that to be my daughter's reality. I don't care if they make hundreds of millions, one million or 20 grand. I don't care as long as they don't have to worry about money. That would be my dream goal. And growing up in you know, an affluent world, I just want them to still have the drive. So that was why I was asking. Just well, wondering what, what who's people. the, who's the guy that said <clears throat> the best gift you could give a child is basically 
raising them in poverty. I don't know who said that. Very, very wealthy individual. I think probably, arguably, the singus, the single greatest entrepreneur of all time. Name a few. Gary Vee. No, like <laughs> Bradley. I mean, I don't know. What you're, are you setting yourself Bradley? up here? Yeah, no, Bradley. no, none of us. Greatest none of us. Entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm talking about like you know back Warren in the day, Buffett. like uh, Andrew Carnegie, which is uh, which is Carnegie. You know, like um, um, Rockefeller, Rockefellers, people like that. I'm talking about said it. I, I can't remember who said it, but one of those type of people said the best gift you can give a kid is basically making them grow up in poverty. <clears throat> but but I think the reason why they say that is because it, that will teach you resilience, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't mean you can't learn any other way. I know when I die, I'm giving money to my kids, period. Like I want them to get a big ass windfall. I'm hoping by then they will be wise enough to use it and, and help other people make money matter, not just blow it. But then again, when you give it to them in a lump sum or, or monthly or annual payments. Well, four of them are already adults, so they'll just get lump sum. <clears throat> if if my two little girls, I'll give it to mom and then a little trust for them. So when they turn 21, not 18, 21, they just get a big old fatty. Why? Because again, I mean, like if my dad, if my dad died and he was rich and, and, and I found out like instead of the $90 million I was getting, <clears throat> I got $10,000 a month for life. I'd be fucking pissed. <laughs> I'd be like, dude, like, just give me the money. What do you think? I'm an idiot. So 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 if they were idiots, I would. So the guys that I know that inherited one big lump sum, they're all in rehab or in jail. Well, well, again, though, because perhaps when they got it, they didn't understand money. Like I can promise you this. I've always asked, why is it, why did it take so long for me to get, you know, money? And I'm still wondering like, (laughs) what the hell? Like, when am I going to get the real money? But with that being said, I think it's because if I'd have got it any sooner, I would have too. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand. Just started understanding I, I, I got recently. Stories about these guys that have just inherited the money. Uh, I mean, they're well. You hang out I with a lot of celebs, de- don't you? They're dead in jail or rehab. You hang out with a bunch of celebs. Not hang out, but you know sure. a bunch. What? What? Uh, what do you think? Like child actors, same thing. All of the child actors I know, or influencers that got big from social media are literally psychotic or drug users or in rehab or gone to jail. So would you recommend I, people give their kids a trust instead? I think it's much better to do monthly payments. It's okay to give them some lump sum, but let's say you're going to donate, not donate. They're going to inherit $10 million. If you want to give them one or 2 million bucks up front and then do monthly payments, that's fine. If you hand somebody $10 million, they will go through it. Look at 85% of athletes are bankrupt within five years. 85%. Yeah. That's yeah, because they don't of, understand of money. In their sport, yeah, it's that, true. What would you do? Nobody understands money. That's the problem. Where are they going to learn it? High school and college doesn't teach it to you. You can learn it by losing it. That's how I learned. <laughs> right. <laughs> the problem is, what would I do? But the problem is, if you don't have the skills to make it back, then what? That's like all these athletes. Well, then they go to a hundred million academy. Amen. Uh huh. Ten thrive. Yeah, I was just going to say ten thrive dot com. What would I do? Um, a little controversial. The only family that pops in my mind right now because of. Uh, political climate we're in is the Trump family remove politics uh I want to include my children in the empire we as a family are building in 
important roles that they will have to earn where they are well compensated. So if I die, that's a different conversation because I'm out of the picture and money will be distributed and that'll be a conversation I have to have with my wife, right? And then hypothetically, did, is she still here or did we both go down? And so there's a lot of variables, but assuming I get a long life to live as opposed to just giving my kids a huge check or a monthly allowance, I would want to include them in roles within the family organization that they are challenged by and feel fulfilled with and love in a way that sets them up to make stupid amounts of money based off their earned income, like they're earning it. They're not just getting it. I think that that would be cool. Some of the families you talked about earlier, the Rockefellers and Carnegie or whatever you said, Carnegie's. Uh, I think that when you look at that in history, that's what I would want to do. I wouldn't want to just say, hey, little girls, go be rotten little shits and here's a lot of money for you. I'd be like, hey, daddy and mommy are changing the world. We've got these businesses. Here's some roles for you guys. Start as a janitor, work your way up and ultimately take over the family business. And now you've earned your tens of millions of dollars you get and they understand and appreciate money. But there was something I wanted to ask on a whole different subject off of children. And that's something that you talked about before this podcast started. You got a random DM from a dude, which isn't unusual. A lot of dudes DM you. You should see this guy's inbox, Dan. It's, it's, it's bad. And so, but eggplants in real form, right? And so for some reason, you tell this guy to hop on a plane. He's a stranger. You, you spend the day with him. And now you're generating a million dollars a month in revenue from that. What do you two do? to differentiate between shiny object syndrome and smart business moves. Like for instance, Brad, you were probably busy already making tens of millions of dollars when homeboy sent you a DM. What was it about that opportunity that you decided to allocate time and bandwidth towards it to pursue it? Because I have a lot on my table right now. And part of me is like, oh man, is this shiny object syndrome? Like I'm doing so much, but at the same time, everything I'm doing is very calculated. It's, it's, complementary to what I'm already doing, whether it be through relationship capital or in my existing businesses. So that's a question that comes up every now and then. How do you know when you should say no to an opportunity? How do you know when you should say yes? And I want to ask you guys, what filter or boxes have to be checked or uh, what system do you do to evaluate opportunity to know that it's complementary and not shiny object syndrome that'll take away from something you're already doing? Well, I'll go first. All right. Number one, I teach people and believe strongly the more hands you shake, the more money you make. Period, period. 100%. Now you can assess an opportunity in five, 10 minutes of conversating. If you're not having a conversation, you're not doing business. Business is really just conversation. So you have to start the conversation in order to have conversation. And I want as many conversations as I can. I can quickly end a conversation. But when he says, hey, can I fly down there and spend some time with you? That to me is a handshake. That's an opportunity. That's a conversation. I could end it if I needed to, but I'm almost with the, I forget what they call it. It's some syndrome where you think you'll miss out FOMO. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I have FOMO based on, I know the more hands you shake, the more money you make. You go to a party when you don't want to go to a party and you meet people at the party. Next thing you know, something happened great at the party. Same thing at a pool party. I know you don't like to go to pool because of the tattoo you have on the small of your back. Everyone sees it and makes fun of you. But whenever you go to a pool party, you end up freaking meeting people having fun. So that's my answer. The reason why I do it is 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 sub subconsciously, I think, right, well, FOMO. But, but really, because dudes, you have to like, just get started. That's the same thing. Just say yes. That's mine. All right, but let me go further then to get back to the, the root question. So you've shaken 10 hands, had 10 conversations, all have meat on the bone. Which one do you pursue? Like, that's the question is, 
outside of entertaining conversations, how do you know, damn, I'm going to put money and energy and effort into this. This sounds cool. Not interested. What do you guys do for that? Well, intuition for me, I mean, sounds fun. Intuition aligns, you know, people I have to like, you know, which, which opportunity do I like the people better than the, than the other ones? Because you're going to make mistakes, at least in my opinion, I always have. And I don't think I could have stopped that. But in retrospect, you know, it's 2020. What's your answer? So I turned down most everything simply due to the sheer quantity. Mm -hmm. I have 36 companies I've invested in and 36 sounds like a lot, but it's been seven years. So it's really only four to six times a year do I say yes out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of offers. The main thing I look for is the quarterback. Who is the person that's going to run it? Because I'm not running it. When an opportunity comes up, Brad gets a deal to do some something in, a, in Oregon. The first thing I ask him is, does the guy you're working with live in Oregon? Because you're not going to, you don't live in Oregon. I need a quarterback for the project. That's my number one. I'm betting on the person that they can execute it and pivot. Because, the jockey. Yeah. It, and be able to pivot in case it doesn't work out. Because a lot of things don't work out or they change. Will that person who started with this be able to adjust in a, in a new climate? Well, that's his last question. What was his, what's your answer to his first question, which was basically, how do you, how do you uh, know which ones to even look into? So I researched the person. That's literally the first thing I do is I look at their, whether it's their social media, I find out about them. I go, I do a little bit of cyber stalking and see who they're posting with, working with what they've done. I want to know about them before I even entertain the conversation. Otherwise I either don't respond or I make it very blunt. I had a guy come by the sports card shop yesterday. I've known him for years. In a matter of 20 minutes, he brought up six different things that we should do together. And I'm sitting this close to him said, no, 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 and no. That's awkward, right? <laughs> Literally sitting like shoulder to shoulder with me on a little couch. Did he, did, was this sound effect going on every time? That's what his face looked like every time. He literally looked like he was going to cry. And I did it because I'm preventing later where he, you know what most people in Hollywood do? They talk, 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 talk. And they act like they're going to do it with you. And then nothing ever happens. Oh yeah, I'm going to invest in your company. And they drag you out for three months and they never invest because they don't have the money or they were never going to do it. I don't do that. I tell you bluntly, I'm either not going to invest or I'll introduce you to somebody that might. If they, hey, we should do a joint venture. I'm going to open up this business together. I'm going to open up a coffee shop and donuts. Great. I'm not going to do that with you. But maybe my friend over here, Aaron Wagner, he owns a hundred restaurants. He'll do it with you. I'm just really blunt up front because I don't want to get dragged into the next three to six months of you following up with me when I'm not going to do it. That's funny. I actually saw that. Three months ago, I asked him to invest in a real estate deal. He said no and connected me to, I forget who, but someone else. And then I said, hey, let's partner on Thrive. And you said yes. So I've been on the no and the yes end of Dan. So I could I could vouch. Because I don't want to drag him on. I don't, I'm not good at investing in real estate. That's why I'm making a real estate mastermind so I can meet people and learn about it. And then I'll feel comfortable. I invest in startups. So I said, hey, I got a guy who's a zillionaire. He'll invest into it. And maybe you guys can work it out. Yeah. And so I just like to be as blunt as possible in advance to protect both of our times for the long term. What, so, if so, what if someone says you're a dick? What a dick. Didn't even hear me out. Just said no. Totally fine. Yeah. I'll, I'll sleep at night perfectly because I'm, I'm actually doing it better for them. I do it much more for them. Think about it. I have to hurt my ego because they're calling me a jerk, but I'm just preventing and protecting their time. That's all I'm doing it for. Doesn't help me. Yeah. People have to get better at saying no. Although I did hear you one time on stage give a little tip that was kind of funny where you said, say yes to everything. You said, if someone says, hey, can you invest this? Say yeah, send me a business plan because you said most of them won't send it anyway. I, same same exact concept. 
hundreds and hundreds of people say, will you invest into my company? I say, yes, send me your business plan. I'm putting it on them because I know they're not going to send me their business plan. They won't take action. They won't do it. And then if they do, which they don't, then I have another hoop for them to jump through. And if they go through three or four hoops, I do want to invest or I do want to take a serious look at it. But most of the time, they don't have a corporation or a bank account or a business plan or any of the basics done. So I get to be the nice guy and just say, yeah, sure, send me your business plan. And then they just fade away into the ether. Now, Cole, what's your answer to the th three things? You've got to hang out with a lot of people, you know, because when you put on events, by the way, folks, if, if any of you can afford to, you know, put on an event. It, number one, takes a lot more work than you think. But, but the cool part is, is when you are the one in charge of speaking, everybody floods your inbox once it's a big one. But again, you're putting on a real event. You can start getting, you know, next to these people that speak. Eric Thomas, yeah. good dude. Like you could, you could text him. You, 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 you reach out to a lot of people. Let's just say you're connected. What's the three things that you would give to your kids? Three tidbits that you want them to execute on. So it's a little different. It would be both business and life. So this is just three pieces of advice for my kids to see yeah, in the you world. You can only give them three, okay. and then you're so, dead, and you can't and you the, you you can't say anything else. So first just thing three I would things. Them. First thing I would remind them: this is your one shot at life. Make it count. That would be for my kids, right? It would so be you different tell them, advice. Make it count. You. Yeah, I would say, dude, ladies, like this is it. Don't 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 tiptoe through life and arrive at your grave safely. Do something that matters. Do, like whatever that is, it doesn't have to be at scale. You don't have to end poverty or end hunger, but do something that when you look back on your life, you live a life you were proud of with no regrets. So that would be my first thing for my baby girls is remember this is your one shot, make it count and don't play it safe, play all out. Uh, the second thing I would say when it comes to your professions is don't, don't live to work, work to live, if that makes sense. And so what I always tell people is, a lot of individuals I know through my network built businesses and then somewhere along the way lived to support their business, right? They've got to schedule their life around the appointments their business requires for it to keep making money. And I think that's backwards. I think that we should design our dream lives and then run our businesses around it. I got one of the best compliments ever. Last week I was at a lunch meeting. We were eating salads and I ordered a beer and the guy laughed. He's like, you're gonna drink beer in a meeting? I was like, why wouldn't I? And he's like, you know what, Cole? I gotta say of everyone I follow, you're the only one that when I watch you on social media, every day looks like you're on vacation. I don't actually even know when you're working. And I was like, you know what? That's probably a really good compliment that you can't even tell when I'm working or having fun, right? Aaron Wagner and I had a similar conversation. So I would tell my girls, hey, you need to create what I call absolute truths. And I have these in my life and any opportunity that comes. And this is why I asked you guys a question of what you would or wouldn't do. Um, I have 11 absolute truths and I will never take an opportunity unless it checks every single one of those boxes. And I will not compromise because ultimately everyone starts a business because of the freedom and the lifestyle they think it creates. But oftentimes people running their businesses wish that they had a job where they could call in sick or take vacation and completely unplug. And they end up being owned by their business. They don't own their business anymore. So the next thing I would tell my girls is create a dream life. What type of 
freedom do you want? What type of travel do you want? What do you want to be room moms? Like I love that I'm the only dance dad ever at dance class. There's it's a bunch of moms. There's not another dude there at 11 o'clock on a Tuesday. I don't miss. And so what does your dream life look like? Then observe the world of free enterprise and find industries or businesses or ideas that will complement that lifestyle. So one of my absolute truths is autonomy. Brad, if you said, Cole, I'll pay you $100 million a year to come here, but you have to live in Vegas. You have to be in this office six days a week, 10 hours a day, 60 hours a week, and you're going to make 100 million a year for the next 10 years. I would tell you no, because that's in direct violation of the quality of life I want. And I wouldn't be able to live that life if I'm here six days a week. If why that why can you just do it for six months? No, I wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't. I wouldn't. Well, okay. You like your for, freedom. Well, for six months, if that was a part of the life plan, right? My wife and I would have to figure that out. But ultimately, you get what I'm saying. Autonomy is one of 11 that has to check all these boxes. Another one for more context in a different direction is I will only say yes to income opportunities that make my daughters proud. I had the opportunity to invest in an app that went off to do well. It's not Tinder, but it's a it's a hookup app where it uses geo-targeting and it's just for like casual hookups, right? That's it. And these people are like, dude, think about how popular this is going to be. You go to a new town, you open it, you meet somebody, you do what you're going to do. And I was like, okay, this thing will probably work, sadly, because of the society and culture we're in. Let's say that I put in 100 grand and it turns into 100 million and my little girls grew up someday and say, Daddy, where did all your money come from? How am I going to explain that it came from an app that I hope to God they never use that causes divorce and ends marriages because people are cheating on each other? Like, I just didn't want to be a part of that. So it was autonomous. I was uninvolved. I was a passive investor if I had taken the opportunity. It checked almost all the boxes except would it have made my daughters proud? And so that's one of my absolute truths. I will never do it and I will never create money that doesn't make my girls proud. So that's an example. So I would tell them, oh, thanks. <laughs> Jeez, how long does that last you can longer talk, than you? You can talk through it. Um, and so so first is uh, make sure that you remember your life. This is your only life. So make it count. Don't tiptoe and arrive at your grave. Crush it. Number two would be don't get stuck just working for your career. Like trying to fit life in around your career. Make sure that you have the stream life and your career supports it. And then the third thing would be it's uh, I've got a million ideas, but if it's my daughter's, it's so personal. Uh, the third thing I would say is... Um, I would say decide who you're going to be in your value system and don't ever compromise, right? Don't date a guy ever who maybe wants you to look differently and then you start dressing differently, acting differently, like if that makes sense. Don't be in a relationship with girlfriends when you're a teenager in early 20s where you have this pressure to wear these clothes or say these things or travel to these places or try these things. I would say create your value system, put it in concrete and do not bend. That's what I would tell my little girls. I would say, don't ever become somebody else for someone else to fit in with a group of girls or to make a guy love you. Don't. Just decide who you're going to be. Do not break. Do not waver. And, you know, you'll you'll be a lot happier in the end for being authentic, for being who you really are. Do you know how much criticism I get showing up to business meetings and board shorts and flip-flops? I don't give a shit. I don't. Because like it's not going to cost me income. And if someone's going to judge me from that, then we shouldn't have been doing business together. So I try my best to be myself. And actually, to a fault, I actually have my wife and parents ask me, like, can you, can you please call like, you know, be a little bit more restrained, but like, I am always me always with everyone. And I like that. And so I would tell my daughters to do the same thing too. So a little bit different advice, not necessarily success or life, but I mean, for my baby girls, dude, it's, it's a little personal. And that's what I would tell them. 
folks, you heard it from two folks that get to hear a lot from a lot. That's the thing is when you have a, a network of people that you can tap into, a lot of people don't even tap into it. What would you say about like learning any books, any, anything other than thrive, of course, next weekend, Yep. attend thrive.com, get your tickets. But other than thrive, how do people get, you know, the latest and greatest knowledge? So believe it or not, podcasts, what we're doing right now, I would like, if somebody's call, I hate my job. I'm a accountant in a cubicle, no natural light. I, I need to quit and start my own job. What, what should I start to do? hundred percent what Dan said. There's so much free content, Brad. I mean, one compliment, it pains me to say it is that you put out so much free content. If somebody was to truly follow you and do what you and your guests say and not have success, it's because they're not getting started. Dan's first point, right? Like I hate it. It, it. it almost hurts that this is coming out of my mouth, but you are one of the people in the space that gives out more free content than anyone else out there. And there's a lot of people like you. So I would say, start with the free stuff. Go go get the no, podcast, podcast app in your phone. Subscribe to four or five people and listen with the intent of applying. Don't just listen because you're at the gym and you're like, oh, I could be listening to rap right now, but I'm listening to Brad Lee, so I'm being productive. Well, not if you didn't do anything. You just wasted your time having Brad yap in your ear. So listen to these podcasts for free with the intention of applying them. Obviously, books, I mean, you know, you look at really successful people and reading is usually a common denominator. You've got Gary Vee who says he's written more books than he's read, but that's really the minority. Most incredibly wealthy and successful people who have what I would say is happiness as well, are our big readers. And that's been a learning curve for me. I'm not a great reader. I have so much ADD that I'll read every word on the page, but I'm thinking about wakeboarding the whole time. And I literally will read the page, but I have no idea what I just read because I wasn't processing the information. I was daydreaming about getting behind my boat or something, right? And so- <laughs> Getting behind something. <laughs> oh, dude, I thought we are keeping it PG, dude. I want to- are we elevating the show or not, man? Because uh, I, just, I, I, let, I let you have all I, kinds I, of things. You, you shot you. three my way and I didn't say a word. So I just had to pop one back there. Um, so that's that. And that's assuming there is no budget. Now let's just say that this person is getting started as well off. Let's just say that they're a plastic surgeon that doesn't want to put fake boobs in anymore and they want a career change. Then I would recommend getting into something like Dan, because like you mentioned, handshakes creates opportunity when every single person in the freaking room paid a hundred grand to be there minimum, or they're a multi-millionaire or billionaire instructor. Like there isn't a hand not worth shaking there. And for those of you just getting started that don't have that kind of money, it's not to say that your hand isn't worth shaking either, but that's why you pay a hundred grand. No offense to Dan or his ins instructors. I'll bet you if you stocked them, you would get all the same information for free on the internet. I say that openly about Thrive. When my speakers come to Thrive, if you listen to enough podcast appearances and if you listen to enough of their Instagram stories and if you listen to enough or read enough of their books, you'll get all the same content. You don't even need to pay me to come to Thrive. What makes Thrive valuable is it's all their best content all at once at the same time. So you get this diversity of speakers and input all at once, right? Yeah. But so unless, unless they're event, like me and they bring new stuff every time. Well, sure. But I don't, I don't do the same speech twice. That's good. So for Dan, in this example, people paying a hundred grand, I would say aren't like, okay, I can't wait for a speaker to create a hundred thousand dollars worth of value for me. What it is, is okay. I can't wait to meet my next new business partner. I mean, legitimately, uh, I know Anthony and Adrian Morrison through Ty Lopez and just through uh, our circles overlapping, but it was at his event, the 100 Mill Mastermind, where I had a really long chat with those guys. And I've now partnered with Anthony Morrison and we're gonna be doing stuff that's making us millions of dollars together only happened because I shook his hand at the Porsche Center, Experience Center at Dan's event. And so 
if you're just getting started and have no money, free content. There's a lot of people like Brad out there that will teach you stuff that they should be charging you for, for free. And if you've got some money, I would join a mastermind, 100%. doesn't have to be the 100 mil. I've had a mastermind the last six years. It's only 25 grand a year, but whatever you can afford. And then there's online digital masterminds like 100 mil Academy. It's 100 bucks a month. So if you've got a little bit of money to spend, I would pay to put yourself in proximity of people that are moving and shaking. I have no shame in admitting that I buy friendships and buy relationships. That's what I do with Thrive. Like you were talking about Eric Thomas, took me three years to even get the guy to respond. We requested him since Thrive number one. We got him on Thrive number four. I couldn't get a hold of the guy. And you wouldn't have got him again if he didn't like you. Exactly, yes. And so I paid, I don't know if I'm supposed to say, but- I wouldn't even say it. Yeah. You might not get him again. A lot of money. No, no. For the first year. I, and and he has no shame. I don't pay him anymore because we're friends, right? But that first year, I paid a lot of money. He is the largest speaker fee I've actually ever paid in the history of Thrive to get him there because I told my wife, once he's here, we'll be friends. I know it. Like, I just need to get in his proximity because he's a pastor. I was a missionary. Like, we have so much congruencies in how we live our lives and what we're creating in the world. I was like, just get me near him. Sure enough, he even said that he just felt, you know, without getting too religious, he's like, dude, like I felt God a part of this relationship. I think there's a big thing for us in the future. Fast forward, that was in May. By that December, he and his family spent Christmas with me. I'm not joking. They came to my home. They live in Michigan. They flew to Southern California, got an Airbnb, and at my kitchen table, actually it was more in the dining room, for Christmas, Eric Thomas, the hip-hop preacher himself, prayed and blessed our meal for our family. And like, we are boys now. Like, we are tight. And so, I have no shame in admitting that was on purpose. And that when I paid for Eric Thomas to come to my event, it was to make an incredible impact on my attendees, obviously, and he did, but it was to get him in my proximity so I could bro out with the guy. Fast forward now, dude, we text and send each other video messages all the time to just check on each other and see how each other are doing. And we've done a lot of business together. I helped him launch his 1% event. So bottom line is, I have no shame in admitting that I literally pay to get people in my proximity. I, I, I could use a couple of other examples of mutual friends of ours, but I won't because I don't know how they would feel about hearing that on this. But that's the deal. You got to pay to play. And then, and it's not shallow. It's not superficial because then I bring value to the relationship. Like if you had a mastermind, Brad, and I knew that I had this opportunity of owning an RV park with you or whatever it is you're buying right now, I'd be like, all right, I'm going to buy Brad's mastermind because chances are I'll meet some cool people. I might learn a thing or two. But if I spend three days with Brad, I'm going to catch him at the coffee table. We're going to bro out for 15 minutes. I'm going to be able to plant the seed for a follow-up. I'm going to fill that guy up with so much value that when Brad reflects on his three days of running his mastermind, Cole's name's at the top of the list of his best experience, and I'm going to seal that deal. And that's how, I mean, people say, other than this guy right here, Cole, you have the coolest, craziest network of anyone I know. Like, I don't know if you hear that on your end, Dan, but everyone's like, other than Dan, you know everybody, Cole. Like, I can't think of anyone who's more well-connected. It's because I've been strategic of getting in proximity of badasses and then not being a taker, but being a giver. Not being like, hey, you should do this, you should do that, of just literally you, you know, overwhelming them with value you to know, where they have to respond. Like, how can I help you back? You know everybody uh, in, in real estate mostly, but do you know D's? What, D's nuts? That's right. Uh, no, nobody knows them. They're missing people on milk cartons because you haven't had nuts for quite some time, sir. Hey, speaking of which, let's just let's just ask one question before we wrap it up because I know you guys have flights. Yeah, shit to do. Yeah. What's What do you guys think is going on with COVID? Do you think that's going to end? Do you think it's political? you think it's real? What do you think? Who's it going? All right, that's 100% real. I have friends that have it literally this very second, so it's not fake, uh, but it is very political. And the... 
politicians and media like to say, look at the science, look at the numbers. When I look at the data and the science and the numbers, there's a lot of other stuff we live with that's way more dangerous. So, uh, Without masks and, and yeah, lockdowns is, is and shit. Is coronavirus real? Is us 100% it's real. And anybody that denies it and says it's a hoax is just an idiot. It is very, very real. However, now that we aren't freaking out in March, because we made a lot of long-term decisions in March, I don't think we should have. We all decided as a society that we would allow our government to tell us it was this scary and to just believe them and to not be able to fact check them ourselves, right? And then so fast forward to now, now that we have months and months of global data collectively, we see that it isn't quite as horrible as we thought. Not again, even close. And again, I, I understand some of you be like, oh, Cole, screw you, I had to be on a ventilator. Guys, I get it, but that's no worse than pneumonia. Like that that's no worse than other diseases that are out there where you need to be on ventilators, if that makes sense. Or tuberculosis, 1.5 million cases a year of tuberculosis. You got to wear a mask for that. So what I'm getting at before I get flooded with DMs of all the haters out there is coronavirus is real. Um, we did what we needed to do and we thought everyone was going to die like it was the bubonic plague. Fast forward nine months of data now, we can compare it to other diseases that have always been around that we live with every single day. And I think that it is now a political thing that we are still requiring masks. I mean, walking through the casino last night, Dan and I, you can't get five feet without someone yelling at me to put a mask on. I think that's all crap. And they're just doing their job because I was literally telling this to Dan. Now it's becoming a cover your ass thing. We're going to host Thrive Virtual, but we're going to have about 200 people with us. Our just friend, like I'm bringing 100 of my friends. He's bringing 100 of his friends. I don't think there's room for you. Sorry, Brad. Um, but that being said, we're going to have people. And I was literally telling Dan, dude, if someone comes here and they catch coronavirus on the airplane, However, they think they got it from us. What are we going to do to protect ourselves? So you got to do waivers and we're going to have to require masks. So I think a lot of it also to give some leniency to these businesses that are acting like assholes is they're just like, dude, we're going to check every box and make you wear masks and take your temperature when you're at the door and this and that. So heaven forbid a customer gets it. We can say we did everything we needed to do to keep ourselves safe and avoid lawsuits. And that's literally what I told Dan and my wife last night. The only thing I'm afraid of right now of coronavirus is the legal implications, not catching it, not it, the, the virus itself. I'm afraid of what it would do in business and in, in lawsuits. That's the only thing I'm afraid of at this point of coronavirus. Boy, Cole, I could listen to you all day. And for there, for a minute, I thought I was going to have to. Well, lucky for you. Dan, what's your thoughts? I believe in the greater good, meaning we're at, we're something that has a 99 to one ratio, 99% survival rate, but you can't survive homelessness and millions of businesses going away. And it, emotionally impacts me. Like even thinking about it, I like I get emotional, but watching entire shopping centers decimated, entire high rises empty because the businesses are shut down and they're not coming back. So if you were president, would you say open the shit up? Absolutely. What about you? Of course. Well, I, I'm just wondering why they don't. It's politics. They're they're into, into, I know, but who, but then, then that the, means, then that means the Democrats or whoever's doing it, the left, the right, whoever's doing it know. is more powerful than the other side. Cause let's say I'm a, let's say I'm a Republican. I'm the president, my whole Republican staff, the house, all the, all the reds say we're going to unlock. And you're saying it's political. They won't let us. You, so you're saying the Democrats are more powerful. No. So let me answer that without getting into the politics. Uh, there are seven states now in America that have reopened. Uh, Florida just announced last week that they are no longer requiring any type of coronavirus, social distancing, mask wearing. Idaho's done it. There's a bunch. Um, I live in California and we have a, you know, a, a Democratic majority state. I think there's like six Republican politicians and all the rest of Democrats. 
dude, you get a ticket for walking down the street without wearing a mask. So you've got certain states that say we are doing nothing for coronavirus anymore. It's like back to 2019. It's like it doesn't exist. In my state, you get a ticket for being on a sidewalk with no one else near you and not wearing a mask on. And so to your point, uh, because there's the federal government and obviously we all know how Trump feels about this, but then there's state government as well. And it's not that one's more powerful than the other. It's just that when your state governor says, if you want to be in business, you need to require your people to do this and you just, you got to deal with it. But that's why California is the biggest exodus right now. It's had in a long time. Yeah. So folks, here's what I'll leave you with. Make sure you get out there and vote even though I technically don't think it counts when it's for president. That's just my belief. I think the electoral college decides, but get out there and vote and more importantly, vote for local government. And that's how you can make a difference. Do your part, take action. Folks, I appreciate you sharing this out with people and Cole, Dan, appreciate you guys coming up here. Attendthrive.com. Go get your tickets next week. There'll be a lineup of speakers. That was just a few. And just in case you guys didn't catch who that is, like, you know, Billy Jean, if you have a business, you want to learn how to market, that dude's like the the the, the guru of digital marketing. Tom Billu, he did Quest Bars. He, he kind of did what you did, dude. I asked him the other day, you know, what was the one thing? He said, all the, all the protein bars tasted like ass. Mm-hmm. So he just made a Better tasting bar. You made a better tasting drink. Dude, better mousetrap. Better mousetrap, folks. If you want to freaking make a million dollars, solve a million problems, but start with one, man. Look look to solve problems. That's all I got for today, folks. I wish I could keep you guys here all MF and day, but I know you got flights. Appreciate you coming. Thanks for having us. Thanks, bro. All right, guys. Until next time, keep it real. This is Dropping Bombs with The Real Bradley. Subscribe at DroppingBombs.com.